HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working building in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Need a professional place to work from? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. This week on Meet and 3, it's our season four finale, and we're sharing some of our greatest kitchen joys. Maybe most people consider making it too much work or too messy, but this is the food that's worth the work and worth the wait. You always know where the thing is because you put it away the right way the first time. You just sort of stand there and, you know, with your hand on your hip and one leg outstretched, glass of wine in your hand, staring into the refrigerator going, okay, speak to me. Oh, yeah. What are you doing with the celery tonight? I am making a simple syrup for a gin cocktail with the celery. And I also found a recipe for a celery soup that's going to use up the celery and the potatoes and some of that dill that we still have hanging out in there. (laughs) Tune in and be inspired to find the joy in your kitchen. And don't forget to subscribe to Meat in 3 wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Luke Griffin, and you're listening to Bushwick Podcast, local stories for a strong community. Each episode, we take you behind the scenes of the artists, activists, and entrepreneurs whose journeys collide in Bushwick, a special Brooklyn neighborhood that's changing faster by the day. As the summer comes to an end across the city, it's the start of a new season here at Bushwick Podcast. That means we have the continued privilege of sharing more of the remarkable stories happening in the community and the renewed duty to help break down the biggest issues facing the neighborhood today. We have some exciting episodes planned this fall, and we're thrilled to begin the season with a story of resilience, hope, and the power of partnership. This week, we sat down with some of the leaders behind the Bushwick Food Co-op, which, if you haven't listened to our previous episode, The Everyone Store, is the neighborhood's democratically owned and operated grocer. Earlier this summer, the co-op storefront was devastated by fire damage, but as we'll hear today, they're recovering by embracing the unique strengths of their community. It's Thursday, September 12th, and this episode is called Cooperative Crisis Management. All righty. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hi. This week, we are joined by members of the Bushwick Food Co-op, who you may remember from our previous episode, The Everyone Store. Uh, Before we get into the conversation, if you could please just introduce yourselves, including your role at the co-op. Hi, I'm Chris, and I'm part of Outreach, the Outreach Committee at the Food Co-op. I'm Laurel. I'm the store manager. 
Hi, I'm Fran. I'm the general manager at the co-op. Hi, everyone. I'm Ali Toshli, and I'm the board president of the Bushwick Food Cooperative. And hello, I'm Kat. I work at HRN, but I am also part of the communications committee at the Bushwick Food Co-op. Woohoo! <laughs> Some folks may be familiar with the co-op from our previous Bushwick podcast episode, The Everyone Store, but I imagine that a lot of listeners may be hearing about it for the first time. For somebody who's completely unfamiliar with Bushwick Food Co-op, could you please share a bit about what the organization is and what makes it unique from similar organizations? We are a grocery store with a focus on sustainability and local food. We are a cooperative, which means we're collectively owned by members. We've got about 350 of us at this point in time. Unique to some other co-ops is that we're also open to the public as well. So members make up a large part of our especially regular clientele, but we also have about 30 to 40% of our customers who are just from our local community. To build on that a little bit, I imagine people might have heard of co-ops and they may have some idea of what it means to be democratically owned and operated. But could you please unpack that a little bit more? What does it look like to be a part of the co-op? How is the organization run and what makes that different from a typical business? Well, we're a grocery store that has an added value. So we are, what it means to be democratically run is that everyone who participates has a vote, therefore a say in how the business is operated and carried out um, it's partly yours so there's a sense of ownership whereas your regular grocery store or convenience store doesn't offer you that we build relationships with people and with farmers and we try to build community from there um, and we do that while we share a set of values and our values are around produce, um, sustainability, if they're ethical, if they're local, uh, all these criteria. Um, every co-op gathers around a different set of criteria, so every co-op has its own like character and voice. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I would also say that what's really special about the co-op is just everyone keeps it alive. It's not just that yeah. there is, you know, a couple people making the decisions, you know, so if there's something that you feel like could be better, you can just definitely jump in there and get there and make the change yourself. So this is really cool. It's like this empowerment for the owners in the co-op. And um, I think when I started getting involved, I really didn't really realize the kind of community I was gonna get. And I was living in Bushwick for five years. And until I started getting involved in a committee and like volunteering at events, I really started getting to know my community better through right. the co-op. And I thought that was really amazing. Oh. Some folks may have passed the co-op and, and may not even have known that they've seen it. Where Where is it located? We're in the Loom building on the corner of Flushing and Knickerbocker. We're a little bit tucked in around the side. Our frontage is actually to Porter Avenue. When we had last spoken with the Bushwick Food Co-op, this was in April. I believe you were prepping for your annual meeting with all of the owners and the participants in the co-op. Correct, yeah. But since that time, uh, one of the biggest challenges, it seems, to have confronted the co-op in its near 10-year history has happened. What happened earlier this summer? Uh, well, we had we experienced a fire um, on July 3rd on the mor in the morning. Um, 
it's pretty devastating to be honest but um so when we last saw each other we were getting ready to hit this year marker that was really exciting for everyone and the 10 year anniversary has proven to be the most difficult year that we've had and but it's also been the most wonderful it's also um, shown us how much people care about our co-op and are willing to step up and miss the co-op now that it's closed um But we experienced a fire that started outside of the store and led to damage, uh, structural damage throughout and water damage. So because of that, we're missing an entire storefront window, which cannot allow us to stay open until it's repaired. And so there are some issues there that we're trying to figure out in order to open soon. What was the scope of that damage? Is the co-op able to operate in the interim? Is it is it? something that was completely devastating? A little bit in between. Um, It could have been worse. We were quite lucky. We were able to salvage a lot of our inventory. Um, It happened the day before 4th of July, which is a really big shopping day. And, you know, local distributors' delivery schedules change around that time. So we'd had basically a week's worth of deliveries the day before it happened. So yeah, lots of food to move around. Lots of people came and bought things and we were able to donate a lot to local organizations and soup kitchens. Um, But yes, that said, we still have a top instead of a front window. We have a hole in the ceiling. The space is currently not secured enough and yeah, cannot be run as a food business. In the interim though, we have, uh, Laurel has helped lead um, three or four fire sales now? Three, I believe. Um, where we gave a discount to everyone who wanted to come shop and help us get rid of our stuff, um, which was really great. Um, We had three weekends, and they were extremely well attended, and we got rid of at least 90% of the things that we had left in the store. Um, One of our community partners, BK Rot, took from us uh, all of the remaining things that we weren't able to sell, perishables, bulk items that could be composted, Uh, We have a business relationship with them, and I want to thank them very much for offering to take that off our hands for free, which was really, really sweet of them and a show of support from a community partner. Um, We've also had other cooperatives who've reached out to us to buy some of our stock and have extended their shopping discounts to our membership, which has also been a great sign of support from a community partner. And... um, yeah, I think we even had some donations come in for some of our events. So we've been busy. Um, we, and Laurel has also led the store cleanup. Um, so even though we may not be able to open yet, uh, we're getting ready to be prepared for that moment. So we've been washing the walls, vacuuming the dust and the ash and the debris from the from the fire and um, cleaning out our fridges because they really needed to be cleaned out and other things like that. So... Um, we've had a lot of help. It's been great. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, that provides offices, co-working, event spaces, and a brand new podcast recording room. Have you been dreaming of starting your very own podcast in Brooklyn? You can now rent space in 100 Bogart's custom-built podcast room to record interviews, voiceover, and commentary. 
The room is fitted out with two microphones, mixing board, and a MacBook Pro running Pro Tools. You can rent the space by the hour, and a rental of an hour or more includes a 100 Bogart co-working pass. That means complimentary coffee, tea, and access to your own desk for the rest of the day. So what are you waiting for? Get started on your next audio project. 100 Bogart has the space and amenities you need to kickstart your podcast. Learn more at 100bogart.com or call their team at 718-362-3539. Hey, are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Kathy Irway, and I'm the host of Eat Your Words here on HRN. Every week I sit down with food writers to talk about their newest work, from colorful cookbooks to food memoirs to exposés on the food industry. It's all meaty topic for discussion. You can find Eat Your Words wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. So we were just chatting about uh, some of the response to the fire that took place earlier this summer. To rewind a bit, one of the things that I'm curious about is in responding to a crisis of this nature, what does it look like for a cooperative to activate that response? As I imagine that it's a bit different from what a a traditional business would look like. (laughs) Yes, it is. Um, Just looping back to the conversation we had before about the timing of this, we first, you first spoke with Fran before April, which was our annual meeting at which we elect new members to our board of directors. So while we are a democratic organization and every member has a vote, the entire organization doesn't vote on everything, um, mainly really big structural changes, changes to our pricing structures, moving, things like that. Uh, so a large amount of the organization is done by our board of directors, which includes our president, our vice president, our treasurer, and our general manager, Fran. Mm. Um, the board helps lead... Um, they're fiscally responsible for the cooperative and their their rep- legal representatives. So they are the ones who, um, in between voting meetings, will make the decisions for the co-op and act as stewards for the co-op. Um, and then operational decisions are made by myself or members of staff who um, haven't been empowered to do so and make certain decisions for the operations. Um, I don't know if you want to add to that, Ali. Yeah, to the cooperative response, right? Uh, yeah, something very different. Uh, if the store down the street that you know traditionally was owned by two people or one people, one person, it would shut down. It's like oh, okay, well, it shut down or something happened. In the sense of, in the case of our cooperative or cooperatives, and what most recently happened, uh, there is a lot of uh, personal investment mm-hmm. aside from the actual monetary investment and care for uh, an institution or uh, the group where you see the general managers and uh, the store personnel and uh, you run into people that are fellow co-op uh, owners at the store and you catch up. So there's a sense of a sense of community and uh, where everyone is like we're on the same boat uh, or we're on the same page and like, okay, this happened. How can we react or give or think of different ideas to support uh, the situation. And in our case, uh, that has been uh, a clear, uh, a 
nuclear thing. And it's pretty amazing. Uh, in times of crises, with this crisis, everyone, even though we are, we know each other, we might not be the best friends or know each other very intimately, but yet the sense of cooperative that brings us together helps us collaborate. And that's really cool. That element of how can we as a community come together to respond to a crisis is something that I think somebody need not be familiar with a cooperative to relate to. And this stands out as such a clear case of how a community can do that. What did the communication look like in terms of identifying that this was happening and the store was being threatened to generating some kind of response? And what were some of the challenges of that as a collective group? I can speak to this a little bit because so I work with the communications committee, which is pretty pretty small as far as the committee structures go. There's two co-chairs, um, Katie and myself, and obviously all the committees when the co-op before the fire, they all kind of operated sort of independently. We took direction from the board and from the store, and you know we try to carry out different initiatives. Outreach does a lot of events throughout the year, but when the fire happened, most of those things kind of had to stop because there weren't normal day-to-day operations happening. Hmm. But communications, Katie and I, was, was one thing that needed to continue in a slightly different way. So our newsletters and our social media and our internal communication had to continue, and we really worked closely with the board to figure out what messages needed to go out, both internally and externally. So other than just making sure all the owners knew what was going on and where we stood in the recovery process, a couple of other things that we did were we put together an alternate shopping list in the interim so that our owners knew where they could go get food that aligned with the co-op standards while the co-op was closed. Um, and then another thing that we did um, was like a support outreach in communicating about the fundraising events going on and communicating about the GoFundMe page that was put up. So I did a lot of um, outreach to local press to make sure that the word was getting out. And you're doing awesome. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And also internally, what's um, the need has been what's going on. And so Kat has been really great about helping the board and uh, the people involved in the reopening and the... um, the reopening process to uh, let members know who are really eager to see the store open, what's going on, what are the steps that are happening, how they can help, things that they can do um, to keep folks engaged, but also they care and they want to know where we are. Um, So the internal communication has been important as well. It's also been really essential in tapping into what is our biggest benefit as a cooperative is our community and the skills of our community. Um, A lot of companies do have boards of directors. Ours functions a little differently than some, and they are quite involved. And the expertise of all of our individual board members, as well as Fran's expertise, is really what got us through the beginning of the crisis and is continuing to see us through. But also the skills of our broader membership. It's really amazing to be able to crowdsource from this pool of people who we know quite well who work in so many different fields and have so many connections and to tap into that it's been really beneficial to clarify had the co-op confronted a challenge of this scope or of the severity before 
No. Oh. Um, we we kind of used to joke around that we had like small fires here and there. Like one year our AC stopped working and I don't know, one year we didn't have bananas for a whole summer. <laughs> uh, things like that. Or, oh my God, somebody spilled the coffee beans on the ground and we lost 40 bucks worth of coffee. Things like that would happen to us. Um, and they cha- we have challenges every year. But this one has by far affected us the most because of the fact that we've had to close the store. Um, we've been we've been able to run the store with very few members of staff, but we I mean we can't do that if there's no location. So, so it seems fair to say that this was unprecedented for for the organization to be able to absorb this kind of shock. Then, yeah, for sure. Uh, and one thing to mention back on the the whole communication or or how it how it went through one thing that sort of is a the hand that kind of guides me or like says hey like it's okay it's that we're all doing a, it's it's in a sense an experiment what we're all uh collaborating in uh yeah we're a co-op we're a group of people with certain interest and like-mindedness yet we might not all be certain experts or just because you're on certain team, you're there because that's what the platform that the co-op gives you and a space to learn and grow in that field or in that capacity. So it's a very awesome learning opportunity, uh, but also that we're all adding efforts towards towards a goal. And uh, it's pretty amazing, like on the fly, the communication strategy. Oh, how what is the priority? And talking with different people that maybe have different visions of what that would be for them because of the one vote uh, structure. And then like, okay, it's a lot of politicking in a good, cool, democratic sense. And so it's really fun. Well, I think about even in Bushwick alone, there are a number of communities that are facing crises of their own or challenges. What lessons might you share in terms of how to collectively respond to something like this, to be able to identify people's strengths or to identify certain routes that you might take to begin to respond. Hmm. Um, I think one thing that's really valuable about the co-op is the committee structure, because it allows people to find out what the opportunities are. Um, It makes it so there's not a high barrier to entry to getting involved you can go on our website see what you know see what committees exist where do your strengths fit so that everyone feels like they have both a stake in the organization and then whatever problem needs to be solved but then feels like they can make an action small or large and and feel like proud of that and also i would say that um my advice to other groups going through crises um is stay open. Don't turn people away. Like one thing that I've seen at the co-op is we have 400 and so members. They all have very different jobs, very different skills, different talents, and they all bring that to the table. So while the committees offer an opportunity for participation and they can decide where they want to, it's uh, we offer them opportunities to learn certain skills as well. Like you can learn how to, you know, essentially do business management with us um you can help us run our finances you can help us you can learn to order you can learn about uh 
I don't know, environmental aspects and bring that to an organization as part of their mission statement. So there's a lot of things that we also offer our community, and but we wouldn't be able to do that if people didn't come to us as well and if we didn't keep our doors open for that to happen. So I would say to other folks is um, you never know what, uh, what resources and opportunities are available to you and how you can be an opportunity for someone else. Keeping your community close and keeping open to your community is super key. We were really lucky in that regard because we have a regular structure of meetings where we encourage each committee will meet roughly once a month, but the whole organization meets monthly every second Monday at 7 p.m. Come to your monthly meetings. Mm -hmm. And we were really lucky that the week after the fire happened, we had a monthly meeting scheduled five days after and we had over 50 people come and it it added many positive things, but bolstering energy was certainly one of them. And right. then, yeah, a really great way to crowdsource opinions and, and maintaining that and keeping up those regular meetings, those regular conversations. Right. And actually, I was going to say for me, the advice would have been to like move fast and don't overthink. And that's what we did. And right. like we... We organized a cleanup, I think, the day of. A bunch of people came in and started help cleaning. Should I say that again? Um, yeah, so like people came in and cleaned the day of the fire. And uh, people were texting and just like reaching out, like we need to do something right now. And I think that's amazing. And like the fact that we had the meeting right away, the fact that we were like starting to think about how can we fix this right away. We weren't like, what should we do? What is the, you know, it was just like, we need to fix this right now. And I think... Banding together to move forward is, I think, a big theme of the co-op, too. We just keep moving forward. Whatever happens, we just keep going because um, it's kind of like a kind of like a home. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's my understanding that one of the principles of cooperatives is naturally cooperation. Right. And you'd started to speak to this earlier, but how have you been working with partners and external organizations to manage next steps? Well, I'm going to go back to what I said a little bit before, is that um, staying open. But you can't just do that when you're facing a crisis. You have to actively do it every day. Um, because we've been building relationships for a very long time, um, those proved really fruitful for us in this moment of crisis. So we, um, like you said, the seventh cooperative principle is cooperation amongst cooperatives. Um, we have been contacted by a lot of cooperatives from inside New York City, New York State, and beyond. Um, we're currently being featured in a co-op um, in upstate New York uh, roundup campaign. So they are... Um, Every bill, every every payment at their cashier, um, they will ask clients if they want to round up to the nearest penny and or cents, whatever. And that gets donated to us at the end of September. Um, so they feature us as an organization who needs help, who needs who's in need. And um, that also creates exposure for us. And we had never met them. They found out about us through like a another co-op of a co-op and a friend so um it's this really elaborate network um so building relationships is it it's really important um 
and, and, and we're all about community. It's another of the cooperative principles. So we do partner with um, not just cooperatives, but organizations within Bushwick and outside of Bushwick um, that we share values with. So either, whether it be a social value or an environmental value or agricultural value, um, yeah, we have a lot of ongoing relationships there. Especially with our vendors as well. I want to, they're a group of partners that have just been amazing and incredibly understanding in this time of giving us the time and space to figure out our finances in supporting us with food for fundraisers and just general support. It's always really warming to open the store's inbox and just see people checking in and offering whatever they can. To uh, add on the crisis part, uh, three things stick to uh, come to my head right now are uh, a lot of a good chunk of answers or resources could be very well within your group. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, times of uh, crisis, you have to you know reach out to other people, but a lot of or sometimes a, a lot of the resources and uh, could be within the you know people that were in that position. Uh, what's it called? What's this American term? Push to shove. Shove this push, like if you when push comes to shove, when push comes to shove hmm. then oh, this person handled it really well. Uh, that's amazing. So that's one thing that some resources can be inside. The other thing is that things will get messy. And uh, w- the fine cut that you would have done did not work out as well. And some people didn't like it or it wasn't the best result, but it was the best for that moment considering the circumstances. It's, well, it's, you have to take that too. Like, well, things are going to get messy, but let's, Move, move along. It's uh, uh, and the last thing tied to that is uh, because of that messiness part of whether communication wasn't effective or the strategy or the idea that came up. You no, know, give a space to reflect and say how could we learn from the things that we could have done better, given that we were in a time of intense stress and uncertainty. But yet we all tried our best, and to have a debrief moment uh, or a moment of reflection, I think is key to. Uh, as a learning experience, because this is this has been a, a very stressful time, but a very, uh, I think we all have a some degree in crisis management now. Uh, experts. Experts, yeah. <laughs> we'll start doing consulting. But, you know. <laughs> well, looking ahead, what are the next steps for the Bushwick Food Co-op? That's a complicated question. <laughs> um well, I know we have a couple of events that we're doing. So House of Yes has a block party coming up, and that is in two weekends, the Sunday the 22nd. So we're going to be there. And it's kind of amazing because House of Yes has been so supportive and so many community partners that are going to be there. So it'll be nice to kind of party together there. So come and stop by and say hi. We also are planning our 10-year anniversary kind of uh, bash. We usually try to have a bash or two a year, usually like summer bash or fall bash. So we're kind of kind of combining it with our 10 year anniversary. So we're underway in a couple months. We're just going to have it finalized and just keep, get it going. Um, I want to talk about our fundraiser that we just had. I think it was really cool because we had it at the Muse, which is like a gymnastics school. It also has like shows for aerialists. 
And it's a really, really amazing space. I think it used to be um, like an old warehouse where they used to build like iron bars. So it's like high vaulted ceilings and the space was really cool. And what I wanted to emphasize too was that the community banded together so quickly for us. Again, like talking about speed, I couldn't understand how quickly we had so many donations from like restaurants, cafes, businesses to give us like raffles or give us a space or give us food to to kind of have at the event. I was really, really blown away by it. And um, so far, anyway, moving forward for us, we're just again, we're just forging ahead and we have these events coming up. So we're not really stopping despite this. I think to me, that's a really inspiring for me, for my life lessons to keep going. (laughs) As someone who works primarily in the store and there is not currently a store, um, this has given me, certainly more than Fran, an opportunity to spend a little bit of time catching up on things that I haven't been able to do. So doing more research into our sourcing, into affordability of our sourcing, and that's going to be part of the reopening project is refining what we do and what we offer as a cooperative and making us our best possible cooperative self. Yeah, I'm going to also add to that, that um, we've, like Laurel said, been catching up on uh, things that we didn't have time to do on our day-to-day basis and revisiting some of our procedures because you have to see them in a new light now that we've gone through a crisis like this. It really sheds a light on the procedures that Um, we're failing in some ways. So now we can fix those so that we can be more prepared to better handle situations that arise moving forward. So that's from an operational perspective. And I think the big question in the elephant in the room is when will the co-op open? And that is harder for us to answer. There's a lot of moving parts there. Um, All I can say is that we are working every day very hard to open the store as soon as we can. Um, we're looking into all of the possibilities of um, doing a temporary pop-up, fixing the window and opening the store as it is, uh, opening less days a week, or we're also looking into the possibility of using the opportunity to move to a space that is bigger and better for us, um, which is something that we've been wanting to do for many years. So lots of folks are like, why don't we take advantage of this opportunity and make... uh, positive out of a negative situation. So um, we are juggling all those options with the board. We um, are currently in conversations with attorneys to help us uh, navigate our finances and also um, leases and things like that. So we are um, trying to make the best and most informed decision and the one that is also the most responsible to make because we owe that to our members um, and the board as stewards of the co-op have the uh, duty to make responsible choices for our organization. So we all do that together Um, and we keep everyone abreast of what's happening by uh, providing updates in the meetings. We had one yesterday, actually. Where can folks go if they're interested in partnering with the co-op or getting involved? They can visit our website. bushwickfoodcoop.org we have a link to our GoFundMe campaign on our website Um, we've been putting all of our updates there as well on our blog like for further in-depth articles about what's going on 
Um, and our Instagram has been our main source of news. Um, I know that there's lots of folks who do not have Instagram. That's okay. We also post it on Facebook, and we have a weekly newsletter as well that gets sent. So if you're not on social media, you can just go to our website and sign up to our mailing list. Uh, we send out information on a regular basis there. I I would also say if you're really interested in speaking to someone in the organization, um, a specific committee, you can always find, I think we have a bunch of emails online too. So if you want to reach out to outreach or the sourcing, if you have any questions, you can shoot an email. We check them and we respond. So if you really want to get in touch with someone about a very specific question, go ahead. Like we're very open. So we've got all that info and more in the show notes for this week's episode. We'd like to extend our gratitude to Chris, Laurel, Kat, Ali, and Fran for taking some time out of their recovery efforts to share some of the lessons of their experience. We'd, of course, also like to thank you so much for joining us this week. We'll be back with another story you won't want to miss, but in the meantime, we'd love to know what you're interested in hearing and how we can do better. Get in touch by emailing us at hello at hearbushwick.com or by DMing us on our Instagram at bushwickpodcast. We can't wait to hear from you, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.